scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. There are some weeks where pastors come up front to preach and they just know they're preaching to themselves as much as anybody else. And this is one of those weeks. The title of our Advent series is Restoration is Near. And last week, Wes spoke of uh, waiting with expectancy, made references to the passage in Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Things being renewed, being restored. And you're going to hear that, that word numerous times throughout this process, restoration, things being restored. And you can see our, our brick wall is better organized than it was last week. No longer just a pile of bricks. There is some structure that's starting to take place. And as Shepherd Willie visits with us each Sunday morning, we're going to continue to see the wall built and be restored. And the definition of restoration, something being restored, is an action of returning to something of a former owner, a former place, or a former condition. And so there, there's a bit of an assumption in that, that at one time there was a proper condition, a complete relationship, a, a full fellowship, something complete, something that had been complete, had existed before, and now we're looking to have restoration. The Garden of Eden 
would have provided Adam and Eve pure and complete fellowship with God. And then, we all know, sin entered the world. Um, God set up a holy nation for close fellowship, a holy covenant with him. And the children of Israel, there was ebb and flow. Uh, but that, I mean, again, sin was in, within this world. And then through Jesus Christ, a new covenant came, was introduced to restore both Jew and Gentile, not as a nation, but as individuals. Again, with restoration of relationship and fellowship with God. And so that restoration that we're looking for and going to be referring to is fellowship with God, but also with others. And today we want to take a look at how that restoration with our Lord and Savior begins and the basis for strength for that process. And I want to kind of refer to kind of three steps. And with any marketing scenario, you always say, oh, three easy steps, but there's nothing easy. Even Willie was kind of making reference to it's not easy restoring and building a wall. Um, there, there may be trials, there may be challenges, there can be stress involved with figuring out um, discernment, encouragement, support to restore things. But step number one, I think, is to recognize a need for a change, recognize sin and challenges that are in our life. Where do we go for help? How, how do we go for help? Last Sunday in the uh, young adult college Sunday school class, yaks, if you ever hear anybody talk about yaks, well, that's, that's what that is, young adult college. The discussion was on the existence of hell and how sin finds its way into our lives and the effect of that. So we, we actually kind of went around the room and just kind of revealed, okay, where, where do I have a challenge that just tends to pull me away from God? Um, in short, sin. What, what, what do I sometimes struggle with? And so it was interesting as we went around the room, there was a general characteristic with all of the things that were referred to, including myself. Each challenge being generalized with self, me, self-centered, selfishness, all, all things about me. That, that's a lot of where sin comes in. It's about me. And as humans, we want to do things our own way. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And if it's anything different than that, well, then we get frustrated and we... Yeah, we voice our opinion. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can be material things. But also it's just simply the way that we want our way. Um, and sometimes you hear that word that, well, it's my right. Well, is it my right? Um, is it my way? Or is it the Lord's way? And obviously sin is not good. I, nobody would say, yes, yeah, sin is a good thing. No, sin's not good. Um, Romans 6.23, the first part of that says, for the wages of sin is death. Like, that's not good. The wages of sin is brokenness, despair. It, 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 there's a breakdown in relationship. And that key part, sin separates us from God. And sin is in this world. 
It separates us from God as we sin, as we experience it, as we see it, as we try to process. There's a number of online websites that uh, if you go to a list of sins, a um, number of different links for these different links, uh, lists. Uh, many of the lists are alphabetized and they've got connections to different verses throughout the Bible. Um, one list begins with adultery, anger, arrogance, bitterness. And you notice one of the blocks over here that Willie discarded and didn't want to have part of this is bitterness. Boasting, complaining, defrauding, envy, and the list goes on. And that, that one list had 120 or more different sins that could be identified from what, what they were referring to. And the general pattern for almost all of those is those focus on me and my desires, focused on self, not on God's desires, not on God's holy plan, but on what I want. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And if somebody tells me that I shouldn't or I can't, well, then I don't like that. I still want my way. And sometimes we try to tell the Bible what it should tell us to fit our agenda and what I want. Um, today, there's different times I keep seeing people say, well, the culture should be identifying what the Bible tells us and what the church should be telling us. Um, there's comments about the church and the Bible being needing to be relevant need to be in touch with the world, become current with the trends and the times. I look back at Psalm 92. It says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we even sang a song, holy is your name, everlasting is your mercy. God's presence has always been and will always be. And so isn't the Bible and isn't God supposed to be speaking to us? not us speaking to him. God's timeless. His word was pertinent back then. His word is pertinent now. There's biblical truth, and that truth is truth. It needs to be expressed with love, spoken with care, spoken with engagement, and a conversation. But it's not to be about me. It's about, it's about God. How do I fit into his plan and what he has called for my life? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Denying self and following Christ is not about me getting my way and all my plans, but God's way. Denying myself for God's plan. Matthew 3, uh, John, John the Baptist is described. We've already referred to this a couple different times. John the Baptist is a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And preparing the way for the Lord is not about selfishness in any way. Selfishness doesn't deny self. Selfishness encourages self. My selfishness, my sins prepare the way of Doug Gerber. That's focusing on me. My sins damaged my relationship with God. 
my sins damaged relationship with those around me. And we're all broken people. We, we, we are all sinners, saved by grace. We need to be reminded that we're called to follow someone else other than self. We're called to follow the example of Christ, who is full of truth and of love. But, but this is also one of those things that, you know, that, that list of 120 sins, it'd be very easy to take that, print it out, roll it up into a, you know, a, a stick of some type and then hit yourself over the head repeatedly. No, that's, that's not what that's for. That's not what God is wanting us. There is forgiveness. We have a God of conviction, not of condemnation. So if step one is to recognize where sin could be in our life, recognize that, be convicted of that, then step number two is what John the Baptist says, repent. We're called to repent. Um, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And repenting is a process of turning away from something that is not healthy and proper. Uh, the title for my sermon is Turn, Turn, Turn. And as I sent this out to Sandy Bates to uh, refer to some of the songs, she said, hey, I know where that title comes from. 1965, The Birds. Yeah, how many of you recognize that? Yeah, Turn, Turn, Turn. Um, I mean, and, and that song is so much connected to Ecclesiastes 3, um, a time for every season, but turn, turn, turn. So that's, that's a different topic, different sermon, but turn, repent. Repenting is making a 180 degree pivot from wherever we are heading and wherever we're looking at, whatever direction we're heading. Acknowledging an error, a shortcoming, a sin, and then moving forward in a different direction. Seeking forgiveness with that. And the nice thing about fruit, but also the bad thing about fruit, sin can produce its own fruit, separation, hostility, depression, loss of ambition. We don't want that fruit. John 3.8, I'm sorry, in Matthew 3.8, um, John the Baptist gives this exhortation. And, and, and this isn't commonly or frequently referred to within this passage. But John the Baptist says, you know, repent. You know, and, and then later on says, produce fruit in accordance with repentance. So it's not just a matter of repenting and, okay, I'm done. Produce fruit in accordance with Repentance. So repentance will allow and create a different result, a different fruit. And so that, that I think, is the step three. Step three is where we take steps in that new direction. It's not just enough to turn. We need to take steps in that new direction. And instead of a spirit of self, can I be led? Can I take my steps with the Spirit of God, a new spirit? Now, part of what I don't want to be building a wall with would be what Willie discarded over there, resentment and bitterness. The brick that he put up here is a brick of healing. 
And one of the things that I, I initially thought of was with those, those two bricks over there, bitterness and re, uh, resentment, is to just discard them and not have them up there. But I, we're, we're going to intentionally leave them there. And this is where, that's as much for me as anybody else. Because those things are damaging to restoring and building relationships, whether it's with God or anybody else. And so as we go through the Advent season, we're going to leave those two bricks there. Just a reminder that we are intentionally not going in that direction, but in the process of healing. Move forward with the Spirit of the Lord as our guide. If we take those first two steps of identifying challenges, identifying sin, and then repenting, but we don't make a move in the new direction, it is incredibly tempting and convenient to simply take another 180 degree turn and we're right back where we started. We haven't removed ourselves from where we were heading in the first place. So it's a science concept. You know, I've got the math background, but science is about inertia. Don't stay in that one spot. Move in a direction that's led by the Spirit. Become active in taking patterns, taking steps in that new direction, led by the Spirit. Uh, Ryan referred to some of the spirit and, and, and these spirits that Ryan referred to in, in the Isaiah passage were bestowed upon Jesus, the shoot from Jesse. And, and one additional thing that I, I found interesting, not, not to talk much of this, but referring to the shoot coming from Jesse was a reference to the humility in which Jesus entered this world. Because Jesus could have easily been referred to as being of the lineage of David at that time. King David, mighty King David. Jesse was a farmer and a sheep breeder. Humble. Jesus came from humble upbringing. He's relatable to every one of us. So there was a spirit of humility that was part of that. But I want to look at each of these just real quickly. The different spirits that are listed. The spirit of wisdom. And this will be wisdom and insight that only comes from God. The spirit of understanding. And this would be discernment of decisions and identity and, and direction in the midst of challenging discussions coming from God. The spirit of counsel. Opportunities to know when and how to speak in loving and caring ways with wisdom and understanding coming from God. But I would also say, knowing when not to speak, knowing when to listen, that's a spirit of counsel. A spirit of might, a spirit willing to step out not on our own strength, but relying on God's strength. A spirit of knowledge. Now here's where you know, Jesus was God, so he was omniscient. He knew everything. And finally, a spirit of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, when we hear the word fear, we think of trembling and you know, not necessarily a positive viewpoint, but fear 
is a matter of respect and honor, understanding, knowing the power and the might and the love that God has. Jesus kept himself in a position of respect and honor to his heavenly father, God. Jesus was spirit-filled and spirit-led, not self-filled and self-led. And that's our tendency. But Jesus is the example for what living by the Spirit is for us. The two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. We need to make life about God and others, not self. And finally, the result of doing those three things, those steps to restoration, should lead to restoration with God, restoration with our neighbors, others. And, and then I also want to just comment. What, so what does that look like? How, how does that happen? Well, for, for our wall up here, the restoration that we're using as a model should be a, a nice, supportive, interlocking structure. Strong, stable. And for us, well, full restoration for us won't actually happen until we get to heaven. But that's eternity. Um, earlier I'd read uh, Romans 20, or, uh, 6, 23a, the wages of sin is death. Well, the rest of that is the full restoration. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the full restoration. But what about restoration that we can experience here on earth? We don't need to wait for heaven. What do we do here? What about now? How do we prepare the way for the Lord? Here. Isaiah 11, 6 through 8. I'll read this again. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the, fo- uh, like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. A return to Eden, uh, a peaceful setting, not contention. But that's fellowship with God. That was back there. But that, that's fellowship with one another, joyful and peaceful in the midst of trauma and toil. Um, there's a painting by Jack E. Dawson called Peace in the Midst of the Storm. And I think I've referred to this um, a couple years ago. Um, in this picture, and if, I would recommend, take a look at this. Jack E. Dawson is the artist, and Peace in the Midst of the Storm is the picture. But there's, there's a lightning storm that's raging in the background with a big, huge waterfall falling down from the right-hand side over a large cliff of rocks. The lines of the rocks actually form some ominous, monstrous looks. A monster's head. You can sense the wind. You can sense the waterfall. Just, I mean, the noise. You can just see it and hear it happening. And then located down at the bottom of the waterfall, three-fourths of the way from the top of the uh, painting, with the monstrous rocks above, the water just cascading and roaring down around, 
nestled within a small little cleft is a bird, white bird sitting on a nest, protected from all the water, but the water's roaring around it. The bird's very aware of the storm, very aware of the water, but at peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. That's the title, and that, that's what that is. So that's peace. A lot of times when we think of peace, we think of a nice, gentle little stream or walking through the woods, a peaceful scenario. And that is. But are we able to be at peace in the middle of that storm? And that's a bit of what I see with, within these uh, verses in Isaiah 11. Slightly different, a little bit more about relationship, the, the wolf and the lamb living together, the leopard with the goat. This is actually peace, opposing parties, not devouring one another, living together, communicating, maybe still not in total agreement or understanding, but willing to listen and live in peace. That's what God wants for us. To live in harmony, live in truth, but living in peace. And as to the fruit in keeping with repentance that John referred to in Matthew 3, 8, let's just take a look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and I would throw humility in there with that as well. There's a humility that we're called to. Jesus came to us in a stable, not a palace. He gave himself up as a sacrifice for us. He had the spirit of God. And we're called to follow that same example. God's spirit, not our own. Guiding, conducting ourselves as we prepare the way of the Lord. We communicate. We fellowship together. Preparing the way of the Lord is a matter of turning 180 degrees from sinful, selfish directions that we head. And then allowing God to work within our hearts as we take those steps. Allowing God to work in others' hearts along with us. Challenging encouraging I believe God's kingdom grows with our holy interaction with him and with others but it means we make, we make a step to follow his spirit not ours